Now, we normally save this for the end of the show, but I'm going to tell you really quickly to go follow us on Twitter at good underscore trash because you are going to help us uh, unravel our programming for the month of July as we run the How We Never Covered Good Trash Tournament of Film, uh, wherein we've thrown together 64 of the biggest movies we have yet to talk about somehow. But yeah, if not the biggest, definitely most in our A wheelhouse. A lot of big stuff, yeah. Some big ones, though. Yeah, but there's some all... pop culture, some blockbusters, mm-hmm. some cult stuff that we haven't got to, but yeah. feels like we should have somehow totally. at some point. Uh, so uh, yeah. we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode, make our some predictions, make some talking points. Uh, so go follow us, good underscore trash, on Twitter so you can vote uh, for our programming. We it's have much safer for us to play Never Have I Ever with movies That's very, very, very true. I don't, there's some things. Look, I, I like to keep uh, something about myself private, at the very least. Pretty much everything. I am a closed book. That's true. You are. I, I suffer from uh, a lack of boundaries. Yeah, that you do. And I also suffer from your lack of boundaries. <laughs> Most people I know suffer from my lack of boundaries. <laughs> I'm is, working on it, it's I a, promise. It's a, it's a massive source of suffering for us all. I just know? want to be an open book with most of the people in my life, you know. Well, um, you know, don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this film uh, presents us with some questions about that, doesn't it? You know, Mary's kind of a closed book, isn't she? Yeah, and uh, Beatrice, very much not. No, 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 and it, she really should be, much more so. I relate to Beatrice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Checks out. Yeah, yeah, I know it does. Would. Hey, hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film stays course, and it's a crying shame this week as we talk about the Soska sisters and I was going to say, what's about Mary? Or there's something about Mary. Different or movie. American. There's something about American Mary. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking all about Mary. Um, when she comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, I wish she would just let my appendages be. And uh, yes, indeed. I am still Dustin. I, I am still Dalton. God, that was a good opener. That's your best in uh, probably the whole calendar year. <laughs> <laughs> I am still Arthur. And uh, we are going to have a wacky fun time with this slapstick comedy, American Mary. And uh, looking forward to discussing it with you all. If you're tuning in for the very first time, dear listener, though, we want you to be warned. This is an analysis show, not a review show. Well, what's the difference, the Dustin? The difference, my friend. <laughs> oh, man. I threw you off. I'm so sorry. It was it was like a weird kind of AA memory came back into like <laughs> you know what what difference does it make? Well, first of all, we admit that we are in powerless against alcohol. Uh, first of all, what we do is a synopsis from the voice of the cinema. Then we move on to a, a thumbs up, thumbs down set of reviews, which are spoiler light. Then we expand the syllabus, which is gently more spoilerific. And then finally, all the spoilage happens as we get down to analysis. And there's some kicking music to give you an idea that that's going to be the thing that's going to occur. So, without any further ado, um, Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you have the synopsis for American Mary? Yes. Thank you. Gifted med student Mary is struggling. Her teacher bickers with her, and she's failing to pay her bills. When she answers a wanted ad for a local strip club, she gets more than she bargained for when she has to sew up a wounded man. Her work at the job begins leading her into an underground world of surgery. After a harrowing assault at the hands of one of her teachers, Mary strikes back, gaining her an underground reputation as Bloody Mary. Indeed, indeed. And so we have Mary Margot Mason Verger uh, doing uh, a great role here before her run on Hannibal playing Margot Verger. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, this this is a film's making the runs right as, I think, season one of Hannibal's in production. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a fun arc of Catherine Isabel's career that and we're seeing. So, fun, fun breakouts. But let's hear our thoughts on the film itself, which is... um. 
Not an easy watch in many ways. Um, but um, I'm going to go to you first, Dalton, because uh, this is a host pick from uh, Your Lovely Bride. And so, or a um, Patreon pick, yeah. Uh, uh, she Patreon had to she had to pay pick. to get this pick. As Arthur, I said, host. Yeah, I knew what you meant though. But I wanted to clarify for the listeners because as Arthur mentioned, it's it's what you've heard is true. Sleeping with us does not let you pick a movie on the show. You have to give us money yeah. and then sleep with us. <laughs> you don't have to do either of those things, actually. Uh, no, just the first one if you want to pick a movie, though. Yes, I, I did offer to to let uh, my sweet wife Becca uh, just pick the movie she's been wanting us to do, and she insisted on giving us money to pick, which I thought was very funny. Uh, but thank you for letting me go first. Uh, I'm going to try to be nice to this movie because I do like it. And also, you know, my sweet wife picked it and I have uh, uh, nostalgic and, uh, you know, connect sweet connections to this movie. This was uh, the first movie that uh, Becca made me watch when we started dating, uh, like literally the two weeks into us dating, I think. Uh, she made me watch this one. So, yeah, it's got a soft spot in my heart. I haven't watched it in over five years now when we, we first watched it. Uh, so it was very fun to revisit. It's because, um, you know, her mean instructors at um, doctor school, um, they she turned them into vegetables somehow with her medical arcane alchemet, alchemical knowledge. I certainly hope that's not the I, case. I hope it's biographical. I, I really have a new headcanon now about how people who have injured her and she has turned them all into like slobbering zombie idiots. Well, I definitely know that there are some aspects of this film that she relates to, but uh, we, don't, we don't need to get into uh, uh, all of that. Uh, let's stay focused on the film, shall we? Uh, so... As I'm watching American Mary, I find myself thinking about how, you know, an amateurish performances, uh, really sweaty final acts and low budgets can, uh, any one of those things can sink a film. Uh, and yet American Mary has all three of those and manages to still be pretty uh, damn interesting film uh, by the end of it. Uh, Ave Maria's and all. Uh, it's it's definitely a second film. And I think that shows, uh, you know, the Soska sisters here. Uh, I mean, this really their their first. I mean, they self-finance this one in a large part or at the very least their parents helped them uh but again the must be nice yeah i don't know right <clears throat> uh anyway uh there is a uh you know a second film this of of this that shows i think um it, it is definitely uh, the sheen of indie is bright on it and in a good way i i would say um when it premiered at, at festivals Egg, evan uh, sathoff over at birth movies death said it works better as a black comedy than as a, a body horror film uh and, and i think i'm in agreement on that point it is not <clears throat> a particularly frightening film um, and, uh, despite the gross body stuff that we see on film, uh, it doesn't really lean into that body horror quite, quite too much. Uh, it is much more kind of interested in fetishizing how cool, uh, rock and roll surgery can be. Um, which is kind of, you know, a weird choice and definitely makes me think of, uh, the FX series Nip Tuck, which loved its, uh, pop music surgery sequences. Um, and, and this, uh, certainly has shades of that. I like the movie a lot though. Um, by and large, uh, I, I really do feel like it kind of falls apart in its final moments, uh, or really its its final plot machinations. But I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here, even with characters as uh, poorly acted and badly written as Billy. Uh, I think even that character has an interesting arc uh, that thematically like fits in with a lot of what this film's doing uh, in regards to the gays and towards gendered violence. I think Billy actually does have something regarding an interesting character arc, even if he's not. A particularly interesting character, or at the very least, a kind of messily written character. And I, I think that's true for a lot of uh, our side characters here, whether it's Beatrice or Roxy um, or Lance, uh, Billy's goon. Uh, I think all of those characters have a real interesting life to them, uh, despite them having uh, either confused perspectives as characters, I think, sometimes, or maybe not quite enough screen time. But this really is 
uh, a testament to Catherine Isabel as a performer. Uh, her kind of very uh, dry, almost Daria-esque, I've, I've seen it called, performance might not work for everybody. It works for me a lot. I think it's a very, very funny performance. I think it's a very layered performance. Um, and uh, again, I, I do think it goes to show... Um, what a good actress she is. And I'm kind of bummed she has not had a, a more interesting career in the last like five years or so. I mean, her run on Hannibal that Dustin already referenced that came after this was really good. Um, I've never seen Ginger Snaps, but I know a lot of people really like that film. Uh, so again, I, it is kind of a bummer she hasn't gotten more work, especially with this being such a kind of a starring role for her uh, and a real performance showcase. Uh, but again, that kind of, you know, uh, low-key performance doesn't always work for everybody, so maybe that has something to do it do with it rather uh all in all though i i, I like the film uh things i don't like about it uh notwithstanding and i'm sure we'll get into that more later as we kind of pick apart or eh, pick apart's an overly critical way to put it let's say as we do a post-mortem on the film right let's keep it medical uh yeah it works for me overall uh i think the aesthetics of the film are probably stronger than the film itself uh but boy howdy does it have a specific and fun aesthetic um, and that can be enough. Again, the things that work work well enough for me to, to get it across the finish line. And I think as far as themes and analysis, it's it's rich ground for us to work in. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you have a review of American Mary? Yeah. Um, for me, it's just it doesn't work very well at all um, in a lot of ways. And I think Dalton actually speaks to some of them. Um, he's a little more glowing on it than I am, I think, or more positive on it. I don't think Catherine Isabel's that good. Um, like I said, yeah, I, I can see why the performance wouldn't work for some people. Yeah, I just I don't think it's that good. I think she has a few good moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it might be scripting. Part of it maybe I don't know. But she just like the Daria thing. I, I think works. And I think when she has those kind of dry, humorous moments, you know, when she comes out after meeting Beatrice's friend, and she kind of like has that beat and is like, okay, well, let's do it. You know, th- those moments work. But then there are other more serious moments where she's having to talk to certain people where it just it doesn't hit i don't think i don't think it lands consistently and i think for the whole film it's just inconsistent and i think for me that's the biggest thing um i don't want to be negative too negative off the front I, I do think that the soskas succeed in a couple of really strong areas i think one is tone i think threading that needle of uh dark humor and horror film uh they do a great job of that i i really do i think it moves pretty seamlessly between those two tones uh in a way that's pretty impressive i think i'm glad you brought that up because i've got some some tone management uh as the job of director stuff to talk yeah. about when we get to analysis yep. so i'm glad you mentioned that um and I, I think that's probably the big shining moment i also think the premise itself is just really interesting i think where they take it is is un- un- unique and i'm going to talk about it more in my syllabus but uh, i think you know what makes a stand as a cult film is really interesting um, I think they make the most of what they have. You know, watching this, I realized it probably was a festival movie. You know, I, I, I've heard of American Mary for a long time. I've heard a lot of really good things about American Mary. I didn't realize just how, you know, low-budget indie it was. And I think for it being a festival film, um, I think they do the best with what they've got. And I think that shows. And a lot of that is the aesthetic and the set design and stuff like that. Uh, minimal sets, but they make them work. Uh, minimal you know cast they make it work and so i think those elements all really come together in a technical way but i think the story as it lands on screen is just kind of all over the place i think there's a couple of different stories here there's the mary who kind of gets involved in this underground world of body mod and mm-hmm. surgery and then there's the revenge element and i i think they kind of butt up against each other way too often and when it really starts to get interesting in one direction they automatically flip to go the other direction yeah and it feels really 
jumpy and the butts has a lot, yeah. and I don't think it works. I'm smiling because all of your complaints are really yeah. my complaints. Yeah. So as you said, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. But for whatever reason, I think that aesthetic and that performance are enough to get me there. But yeah, man, I'm you're uh, you're reading from my brain right now. So uh, I mean, for me, and it, it didn't really work. And I tell you what, though, I uh, I so for, as far as horror goes and gore goes, I do pretty good. I, I can watch people get blown up. I can watch people get shot. I can watch people. You know, silently get stabbed, but when we get into like surgeries and injections, I'm yeah, out. Ooh, yeah, I remembered it. that about you. I don't so, like it either. Yeah, I I'd forgotten that about you. When, when skin's getting pilled or things of that nature, it, it, uh, there are things I was turning my head away from. I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this for the whole movie. <laughs> and luckily, it, it does kind of move away from sure. that. And, and I think that's pretty smart. And you know, if you're going into this for a gore fest, and I saw somebody call it akin to torture, like they 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 uh, I was reading a review where they lumped it in with torture porn. I don't think that's the case at all. I think just because it's got this kind of grimy dark gore aesthetic doesn't make it torture porn just because that's the aesthetic. I, I think somebody doesn't understand what that phrase refers yeah. to because I really don't think that's what the slot's operating in. Maybe uh, Eli Roth's like name in the credits uh, at that time, uh, okay. 2012, yeah. 2011, when this is making that. the rounds. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'm with you. I don't. I don't, I don't really see that. Never crossed my mind in that yeah, regard. It doesn't quite do I, the hostile thing. Yeah. I think if it had stuck to those surgeries and and really focus on that throughout the movie, maybe. But where it goes, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but for me, it just it's so kind of unbalanced and it just feels I think amateur in that regard in the story narrative uh, aspect. And never really quite comes together in a way that works for me. So it's okay. You know, I, I wasn't as impressed as I as as much hype as I'd heard about this movie. I was kind of left wanting more, or at least a more consistent story. So totally, it's okay. Yeah, but uh, I, you made a point that I think is is really well made, which is, is to say that in terms of look, there's nothing amateur about amateurish about yeah. the film. It definitely kind of hides its uh, festival movie pedigree. Yeah. For sure, like I, I, it looks it looks like an expensive movie. Yeah, I, I like a film that's very economic in its its use of design and yeah. production, and and I think this movie is great with that. I think this is do a wonderful job understanding those shortcomings and playing to their strengths. You know, and sometimes uh, being limited financially mm-hmm. makes you think very outside the box, and that often pays off totally dividends. And I think that's probably the case here is how can we get creative and make this work and make it look good? Yeah. And I think that that comes across really well. Cause there's a lot of sets that are very clearly like just Vancouver warehouses, but they've been art designed uh, to death. So yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Dustin, where, where are you sitting at with American Mary? Have, I like, was this your first watch? Um, I'd seen it before. That's um, right. Okay. I like it a lot. I think it's a really, really uh, solid experience as a film, but what you guys are hitting on, I think is one of the problems. I think the Soskas are good directors and not so great writers. Well, there's yeah. a famous story about them kind of having to get this screenplay written in like a week. Uh, they basically pitched a film that they just had an idea for, and it was well-liked enough that they had to cobble together the screenplay very quickly. Well, and I think that kind of shows. Yeah, It feels like yeah. a week's worth, yeah. yeah. Um, and It feels passionate, but unfocused. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's a, a couple run-throughs that this screenplay could have really been tightened up. Um, and I, I don't blame all the wooden delivery of certain lines from, from some of our side characters on that. I really do blame the script. Yep. Uh, for being yeah. written that way. I mean, there's a couple interactions, you know, as a, as a surgeon, you're not, you can't make mistakes. And it's just like, what? what? I mean, there, there uh, are, we're going to talk about the psychopathy of surgeons later on, I my mean, man. There are ways to, and again, I, I don't think that's an inaccurate description of uh, the experience or the um, whatever ego. I get uh, what you're saying, though, yeah. But it's not really well written. And then it's delivered as badly, as, as clunky and as wooden as it is. And so, but as you guys have said, um, as far as the performances go, I think they're solid. I, as far as the art direction, great. The aesthetic, um, 
just the choices of editing and when we cut away and when we oh. cut in, when we when we go close, when we go far out, all of that stuff I think is really really solid. I mean, they're they're, they're great choices in how uh, the representation of the moments themselves are taking place. It's just again some of that stuff with the lines, and as Arthur was mentioning earlier, some general problems with just sort of mixing the storylines and how you want to go about doing that. I have my own recommendations uh, that we might get to at some other point, but uh, for my mind, I, I, I think the sort of rape revenge story that opens it up, which actually happens almost forty five fifty minutes into the movie. I remember yeah. it being much earlier. I, I like better just that this is sort of an inciting incident, and then we move into something else. Yeah, and, and that seems. To to be a more interesting way to approach yep. it. Yeah. But the way it is, they sort of kind of keep that line going in a way that's... I, I think you could have just uh, wrapped it up pretty neatly at the front end. Doing all the same bits and having all the same high points, fine. Mm -hmm. But just doing it earlier in the film and then moving on into the story of uh, the sort of uh, life of body modification that uh, Mary finds herself in. So, um, but generally, though, I like it. I I'm, I enjoy what's going on. I, I do wish they had more time, mm. and, or had taken more time. And uh, as such, there are some flaws there. But it's a movie that I think is a strong movie and an interesting watch. And thematically, got a lot going on. And so, as you said earlier, the passion's there. So I'm a fan. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts. They're generally pro. We have a few quibbles here and there, but we like the movie. So let's move on and expand the syllabus in which we do a thought experiment in which we construct a class and this movie is somehow part of that class whether it is a uh, primary base text for the entire class or whether it's part of a module or just single, a single class period and then we expand the syllabus into what other auxiliary readings and or viewings would be part of that as uh, we are doing a Canadian film and I see the British cinema book here before you Arthur I'm curious about that because you know are you putting Canada back in the colonies that's what I want to know that's what, because it really is just UK, isn't it? It's just it's just North American UK. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go to you first, Arthur. How would you expand that syllabus? Yeah. So one of the things I, I was kind of trying to tap into here and, and come away with was uh, I, I want to explore this. This movie has really garnered a cult status, and we throw that term around a lot for kind of movies that are just underseen, uh, but also movies that really strike a chord within certain cultures or subcultures and, and you know movie going audiences and so that's kind of what I want to focus on was the kind of cult films and taboos and the British cinema book is the one I went to because uh, of all the you know the kind of textbooks we had this one has an uh, essay in it uh, called British cult films by Justin Smith and and where Smith outlines exactly what is kind of the marker of a true cult film uh, in an academic sense and the big thing he kind of taps into are the taboos that are presented and how they are kind of approached or handled uh, in such a manner, you know? And so you might have some real cheap action movie that doesn't have anything to say that has that kind of cult status. You mm. know, we've kind of done some of that stuff on the show before. Uh, but then you have other films that really do have something to say about a certain subculture or really taps into the aesthetic of a subculture. And I think here with American Mary and uh, the body mod culture stuff that's taking place in it i think that's really where it uh excels as as a cult film and, and kind of you know this is a really interesting premise and I, I can't think of a lot of movies that really delve into the the subculture of body modification and you know especially on a bigger scale the one that's as well known as american mary and so I, that's kind of where i wanted to focus here so i want to talk about british or i want to talk about cult films and so it's we're British. Just, it's Canada. It's British. Yeah, it has to be. And yeah, we're just, uh, so I want to really quickly clarify what Dustin's are arguing. Are you saying that all American, Canadian, and uh, English culture are just the same thing? 
Uh, no, I'm just making fun of the Canucks. Uh, I'm just being mean. You know, I'll be nice to our I'm friends not, from not, the north. I'm not making an argument, no. No, oh, you turkey. Nothing quite so thought out. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to see where you were at. <laughs> I want to know what kind of Dustin I have today. Yeah, I, you, you have Dustin who hates Canadians today. Wow, you shameful, shameful man. So I want to start, uh, I think, with, I think, John Waters and Pink Flamingos. Yeah. And I think you talk cult cinema, uh, and you talk in the 70s, you got to talk about John Waters and Divine. And I think Pink Flamingos is as good a place to start. I almost went with uh, Female Troubles, but I think Pink Flamingos is as, about as subversive and transgressive as you can get. And I think that's a good place in, in talking about drag and camp and, and its place in cult cinema. And eating dog poo. And eating dog poo. Hey, man, got to violate those taboos, man. Uh, and from there, I want to go... Uh, Back across the pond, we are going to go back to British cinema, and one of the case studies in this article is, of course, with Nail and I, mm. uh, directed by Bruce Robinson, and the lovely Richard Grant, starring, uh, who's just an absolute sweetheart, he seems, just yeah. the greatest person. You see him posting a lot of his monologues from With Nail and I on Twitter lately? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's cute. With Nail in Isolation or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's got. yeah it's, it's really fun. Um, but, you know, that's a movie that really has a devoted audience mm. to it, and uh, talking about British subcultures and the counterculture of, of the time. I, I think that's another important one to go to when you're talking about cult cinema. Uh, from there, I want to talk about drug culture, and I want to go with Danny Boyle's Train Spotting. You brought it up last oh, week. Oh, hey. But nice. I think it pairs well with yeah. American Mary in a lot of ways. I think it pairs well with, uh, with Nell and I and these other cult films and just kind of getting into that drug, drug subculture. And I thought about also maybe doing, um, gosh, uh, Cheech Chong. Up oh, yeah. Or you know, because, I mean, it's kind of the same idea, but here in the States and doing... The stuff with marijuana and, and that subculture as well. Yeah. Well, and again, the, the specificity of like, you know, the, the opioid epidemic and how it uh, manifested in Edinburgh different than it, you know, uh, manifests in the U.S. Yeah, I think that's, ooh, good picks, Arthur. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Uh, and then I would close it out and kind of getting into the LGBTQ issues I want to talk about, but I'm a cheerleader and saved. Hell uh, yeah. Both movies, obviously, one dealing a lot more with conversion therapy and things of that nature. And again, we could go back to Waters and maybe talk Hairspray, which we talked about on the show a long time, which mm. does have that subplot of conversion therapy where <laughs> Waters gets to play the the mad doc oh, that's uh, right. in a little bit uh, cameo. Uh, but I think But I'm a Cheerleader is he's got a great cult following as one of the earlier, sincere, very, uh, I think, it, innovative LGBTQ films. And what that represents, I think, to that community, and then saved uh, in dealing with some of these same characters. And there's a subplot of a character who's been to conversion therapy, but also just kind of going up against American evangelism and the American church and what that looks like in this very, very non-denominational school, evangel evangelical school, and how that all plays out. And I think Saved is just a great film, and I think that pairs well with the. Uh, but I'm a cheerleader and hairspray. And so I think just really diving into cult cinema and, and what that looks like in a, in a variety of subcultures and the different taboos that are uh, broken in, in those movies. So. Fun oh, class. yeah. Our, Dustin and I have big, uh, cheesy grins on our face. Yeah. yeah. We should do Saved on the show. That's a good movie. I man. love Saved so much. Same. Not seen it, so. Whoa. Yeah. You, you'll, yeah, you're going to like it a you'll lot. You'll love it. You know, I, yeah. yeah I Macaulay mean, Culkin, rock star in that movie. I like Macaulay Culkin. Jenna Malone. We have some stories to talk about with Jenna Malone getting cast in a role that was originally written for, uh, oh, hell, I can't think of her name, but she's one of the supporting characters in the film. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel bad that I can't think of her name mm. right now. Who's, we'll talk oh, about it if we uh, have Mandy Moore. Mandy Moore's in that. Mandy Moore's also in one of her early roles. God, yeah. yeah. That's a good movie, though. So good. 
All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Hey, Dalton. Yes. How are you expanding that syllabus? Well, uh, this uh, syllabus could really kind of be paired with last week's uh, in some way. So they might be modules on the same like sixteen-week course. Uh, last week's film, uh, last week's class of mine got a little off the rails. I was mostly excited to talk about The Last of Us Part Two. Arthur is making some faces of agreement. Um, it's but okay, I'm an editor. Yeah, I know you're you're a minch. Uh, but again, I, I think last week, uh, if you don't recall, we were kind of focused on stories about grief uh, and kind of how those really personal stories butt up with butt up against larger systems uh, and larger cycles. Uh, and I think this week we're going to be a little bit more zoomed in on our focus, but we are still kind of doing uh, using film. Uh, as a like a sociology 101 uh, overview in some ways. Uh, so we're going to be using American Mary and some other films uh, as a primer on the sociological imagination and film. Uh, basically, um, if you're, you're not uh, acquainted with the concept, C. Wright Mills, he's a 50s sociologist. He wrote, I think, a full book in uh, like 59 about the sociological imagination. It is very... Uh, Simply put, uh, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes type stuff. It is really consider uh, the biographical details of a person's life when, you know, thinking about larger social issues. Uh, consider that every number in a social statistic has a human story behind it, stuff like that. Uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, listener, I'm pretty bad at being academic on this show, uh, especially in this segment. Uh, but I'm going to rationalize that a little bit uh, because I like what C. Wright Mills had to say about how you deploy the sociological imagination, which, uh, uh, put uh, briefly, is uh, keep it simple. Uh, you don't need to come up with grand theories. You don't need to use a bunch of uh, academic language unless it's actually doing something to strengthen your case and your your argument uh because uh the best thing about deploying this kind of uh tool of of the social sciences is its ability to speak to regular folk is to connect big broad unwieldy social phenomena to human stories uh, and again i think that's why film uh as ebert said it's the the machine that creates empathy i think it's super useful and kind of a, a base-level sociological understanding. Uh, so that's kind of what the framework for this class is going to be. Let's grow our hearts. We've got some films, uh, varying styles, and uh, but they're all kind of firmly in the realm of genre cinema, uh, because I do like About American Mary uh, and the other films on this list, the ability of, of genre cinema to uh, butt up with things that in a more quote-unquote serious or austere picture probably would just kind of fall flat. Uh, I think working in genre allows you a more a little bit more leeway if your uh, analysis is a little too shallow. Uh, it does allow the film to stay kind of interesting if there's enough bang-bang shoot 'em up to get you through the movie and kind of allow you to think uh, on your own about what's interesting about it. Um, so, without further ado, again, we are going to be looking at American Mary, obviously, uh, because as Arthur's brought up, there's a lot of talk of subculture and taboo that you know kind of lends it to its... Uh, being a, a cult horror artifact, but I, I'm I'm interested in the exploration of uh, the body modification community, uh, and I think we'll probably have to problematize uh, the film a little bit, as I'm sure we will when we get to analysis, because it it has empathy for body modifiers, but it's also not super interested in those stories at the same time. But I think the very giving of real humanity to these people and the exploration of Mary and her psychology and how she butts up against uh, the idea of empathy. And really, the, the film is doing some interesting things with uh, that in general. So I think that that gives us a lot of good stuff to work with. Uh, also going to be looking at Spike Lee's new movie, Defy Bloods. Ah, it's a good movie, y'all. Uh, but 
much like he did with Black Klansman, Spike is kind of presenting a film that does act as a, a primer for social conversation because he's using a lot of the same uh, archival techniques that he used in Black Klansman to kind of illustrate points as a character's talking about something uh, or as the film needs to make sure you have appropriate historical context. It's giving you archival footage and photo- photography and reminding you about not only... Uh, what's going on with the civil rights struggle uh, in America during the late 60s and early 70s, but reminding you what it's like for the, uh, the what the Vietnam War is doing uh, in those times. Again, a lot of great stuff there about laying groundwork and context and you know important social details, but really just an exploration of these four vets and their lives and how the war changed them um, and kind of this very great understanding. I, I called it today uh, Spike Lee's Metal Gear Solid, because uh, much like Hideo Kojima's work, it very much is uh, concerned with the unending nature of war, uh, the endlessness of war, both because of its, uh, you know, the generational trauma that soldiers carry and pass on to their families, but also the, you know, the societal trauma of uh, countries trying to colonize one another or uh, dirty dealing on one another and how those those historical events go on to inform interpersonal relationships in really profound ways. So great movie. Uh, and I think very useful for this. Uh, also, we're going to be looking at another 2020 film. I've been doing some catch up uh, this week. We're going to be looking at the uh, infamous Craig Zobel film, the hunt starring Betty Gilpin, which is a pretty stupid movie. Uh, honestly, uh, no, no offense uh, more than is necessary to Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof, but their screenplay does seem to show a toddler's understanding of class issues. Uh, but that said, I think it's an interesting movie, and I think what it does better than examine class uh, is examine uh, the phenomenon of council culture and uh, being publicly shamed on the internet. Uh, it is interesting to to think uh, uh, to watch famous rich people uh, write about being canceled like it's some big thing, like oh. being publicly shamed is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. But we will probably also look at uh, the book. Uh, so you've been publicly shamed, I believe is what it's called. Uh, but there's some, there's been some writing on the phenomenon of regular folk and celebrities kind of having their lives upended because of stupid ass shit they said online and needed to be dragged for. Uh, but I think there's there's a useful uh, examination within the hunt of how we relate to each other online if the movie itself is, you know, uh, only cool and fits and starts. Uh, we're also going to be looking at Hustlers. Uh, I think uh, I've mentioned on this show before that it's one of the uh, best films about the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Uh, and again, I think uh, the lack of empathy that American Mary has for sex workers, uh, Hustlers has in spades. Uh, no shade to American Mary. Again, it's not really the movie they're making, but it is something I'm troubled by that we'll talk about in analysis. But I think Hustlers does a great job of uh, of presenting human stories happening under the the lens of history. Um, and uh, I love that kind of stuff. We'll also be looking at Midsommar, a film that deals a lot with empathy and perversions of empathy uh, and how um, you can use empathy against somebody like a weapon um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, also, probably, if I can find it, get, be looking at the director's cut of that film because I think it gets into the kind of implied white supremacy and racism of this weird uh, Scandinavian uh, cult that they spend the uh, week with. Um, yeah, that's what I've heard about the director's cut anyway. I'm very interested in that. Uh, and finally, we'll be looking at a Showtime documentary that I just caught up with called Burn, Motherfucker, Burn that came out in 2017, um, but that is about the Los Angeles riots of 92 um, and is kind of dealing with the history of the Los Angeles Police Department. And obviously, it came out prior to this present moment, uh, but it is uh, bookended by, a, oh, I forget who, who it was, but a, a killing of a homeless man uh, in Los Angeles uh, that happened right around the time the film was being made. And it's mm-hmm. kind of bookended. Uh, this history of the L.A. Police Department up to 92 is kind of bookended with the uh, 
obviously the sad reality that very little has changed in the uh, 30 so years uh, since that riot. Uh, or, you know, if you want to use that word, I don't know that I would. Uh, I would call it a redistribution of means through protest. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think that film, because of this present moment, is very valuable. There's a lot of great interviews with people that were on the ground in 92, uh, Korean store owners and their children. Uh, people who participated in demonstrations in 92, uh, cops who were working in 92. Um, it does a great job of presenting a very cross-sectional look at how a community responded to a kind of earth-shaking event. And again, I think in terms of this class, we're going to be looking at the sociological imagination and the ability to film to kind of further our ability to have empathy for each other. Uh, I think, you know, any professor worth their salt has to be, especially if they're doing social sciences, has to be talking about the conditions of the day they're teaching in. Uh, and I think this documentary would be a good way to reflect on our, uh, our current moment um, and uh, bring that into the class. Same with uh, The Five Bloods. So that is my syllabus. Uh, I hope you like it. And it's, it felt more wieldy than last week's. <laughs> Dustin, what about you? What you teaching, man? So I think if I was teaching this film, it would be in a horror-specific class, so an over-16 weeks uh, class uh, around the genre of horror. And I think what I would do is maybe an entire class or at least a module or a set of modules of classes uh, about things that make us afraid, the mm. particular anxieties. And so I would use American Mary with specifically surgical fears. Yeah. Uh, just uh, the sort of post-op, pre-op, and uh, stitching and suturing and injections and scalpels and all that kind of stuff uh, type fears. And if I were to do it as a single class and we did that, American Mary would be a great film for that. I would also accompany it with uh, the 90s slasher film, Dr. Giggles. I don't know if you saw Dr. Giggles back in the day. I did not. Um, but this it, one missed me by. Um, well, you know, you you didn't miss much. But it's basically a slasher movie with a, a crazy person who thinks he's a doctor mm. and impersonates a doctor throughout much of the film and then does his uh, scalpel-wielding, you know, cleaving and whatnot. And there's also a... Uh, Sort of a uh, false cesarean birth at one moment in this Jesus. from the inside out, and I mean it's 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 a nutso film. Ooh, and boy. again, sort of uh, thinking about the aesthetics of what you do with special effects in order to achieve the kinds of shots and the ki the specific kind of creepy crawlers that you're experiencing, and also those questions about doctors themselves and how you feel about them, and then moving on to a little bit more psychological horror, but still horror and Canadian, um, David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. I thought you were going to say Pontypool for a second, but Dead Ringers makes more sense. Yeah, Pontypool would not make sense. No, Dead Ringers part. makes way more sense, yeah, yeah what with... Uh... Uh, our beautiful, beautiful uh, Jeremy boy, Irons. Jeremy being a uh, woo boy. And Jeremy Irons. <laughs> yeah. Both Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Irons star in this film as two different people. And uh, just, again, the sort of psychological aspects of these two gynecologists who are also in some weird sexual picadillos and are using some of their power and prestige in ways that are off. We'll say. Um, and those kinds of concerns, I think, are interesting and just sort of thinking about those medical aspects. I might show a few clips just in terms of the nightmare fuel uh, from uh, Patrick Stewart's Macbeth adaptation mm. in which the fates are um, some World War II uh, surgeon, uh, doctor nurses kind of ladies mm. and uh, with the big crossy hats and, the, you know, all that kind of stuff in those uniforms. And there, there's a couple sequences in there that are terrifying. Mm. Uh, bubble, bubble, bubble. Um, time and trouble or whatever. Is his, is his Macbeth a Nazi? 
There, I all, know it's World War II it, yeah, set. I don't know if there is a Nazi specifically. I don't know who's who and what's what. Oh, it's kind of vague deliberately? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I'm not sure what's going on. That was probably that. the right call if they're going to move Macbeth to World War II. But uh, it is desperately frightening. Interesting. Um, the uh, encounter with the double-double toil and trouble witches and uh, that they are these sort of evil demon nurses. Um, I like it. Sick. So um, I think just aesthetically that would be interesting to think about what it, what again, what it is that makes us afraid and what specifically about those things which are medical that achieve some of that fear. I mean, in fact, you could use some sequences from Jacob's Ladder from just a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and achieve some similar kinds of ideas. So that would be uh, the approach I would take using American Mary in a class. So just that's like a four-week module and a 16-week class. Oh, I think it's like a class period. Like we got the movie and we might just show bits of the other movies. I understand now. I gotcha. Yeah. And then something else that scares us, like, you know, monsters or zombies. I don't know. The specificity of uh, medical uh, fear is very... I like that. Or entrapment or clowns, you know, clowns or, mm. you know, yeah, those kinds of things like, yeah, what home invasion, one class entrapment's good. We talked about insane recently for right. that kind of adult fear, right? Of uh, uh, yeah. false uh, uh, institutionalization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Spiders. I mean, just 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 for kicks and gins, like a like class, a phobias class. Like, basically, yeah. it's a phobias class. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. And so how do you it. achieve that kind Why of Why do we anxiety? make horror That'd films about marathon. certain yeah. things? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, nice thinking, Arthur. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got quite a bit longer, but guess what? It is time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying and that to business say is, as always, my dear listeners, analysis. Um, shall we address the elephant in the room? Oh, yeah, uh, content warning, how we have to talk. You know, when we started this podcast together, I never thought I'd have to talk about uh, sexual assault so damn much, but when you talk about cult and genre cinema, it sure, sure does uh, enter into the picture. Seems to be pretty informative to horror and action thrillers. Yeah, I'm saying, dude. Uh, well, uh, is that the biggie in the eye chart That's you're talking about? That's biggie in the eye chart, and then I guess the uh, slightly lowercase t that follow, I don't know, I just picked a letter, E.T., yeah. Uh, yeah. apparently, uh, is uh, the Soska sisters themselves. So we got things to say. Well, Arthur, I think you know more about this than I do. I did just a very cursory bit of research. Let's. I guess we can start with the Soska sisters yeah. breaking the glass ceiling on problematic artists. Yeah. Uh, which is not, you know, a ceiling you necessarily want to shatter. But What's the controversy, Arthur? Yeah, I don't want to throw out too much just because of the same, same thing. You know, yeah. so I've, I've read the, the things, and apparently, you know, there's some... I guess after they got their feet wet and started making a name for themselves, they've they've kind of allegedly become somewhat bullies uh, within the the horror community. Uh, in, in some ways, there's a, a story that a screenwriter that they worked with on uh, a movie or a project, they somehow they took credit for his script behind his back or went to the WGA to get it filed behind his back or something along those lines. Um, there's a uh, article that came out on a, a horror site uh, recently that kind of goes into the details of, of what they did with that whole thing. And then there's also after they they famously got banned from Twitter uh, when the rabid trailer dropped. I think that was last year. Yeah, tw- the algorithm didn't like how uh, gory screenshots from that were, I guess. And so I guess they went on a uh, alt-right platform uh, to kind of defend uh, censorship or anti-censorship and things of that nature. And people were like, you shouldn't go on there. It's which right. uh, those are the like, bad guys. I will mention as of June 12th of this year, they uh, had a post in support of uh, our, our current attempts as a Western society to overthrow uh, racism uh, and institutionalized violence. 
uh, in which they, you know, said fuck the alt-right, so that's good, I guess. Also, fuck the alt-right. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, they were... <sighs> Maybe you had an opportunity yeah. and you just took it and you weren't really thinking I... about it. Are you just saying that because you know it was bad that you were yeah. on an alt-right platform? Now we have to get into the psychology of people we don't know, and I'm not really interested yeah. in doing that. But I'm, gl- I'm glad we're talking about it. It is worth, you know, coloring yeah, our conversation. It was obviously one-sided, the conversation. And, yeah. you know, early on they were pretty heralded as, you know... Uh, kind of groundbreakers in the genre as female directors and female filmmakers. And so I don't know, and we don't have the whole story, but I mean, there does seem to be some, a lot of rumblings about some odd behavior, if nothing else. Don't be rude. Uh, You know, just because you're making art doesn't mean it's not still a workplace. But Uh, so there, I mean, there are some problematics, bullying kind of things that are circling around some of the story about this particular set of artists. And yet we have a piece of art that's pretty anti-bully and, you know. And yet one of the Soska sisters assaults a sex worker as if it's a joke uh, when they make their cameo appearance within the film. So it does certainly create some. And again, the characters they're playing are presented as kind of weirdos and potentially evil. (laughs) Yes. So I don't know. Uh, it, it is a, a curious thing to to have uh, to, for us to all learn about, right? As we're kind of preparing to do this episode. So, in the word, the so- the Soskas, I guess our opinion is ya un nine. Yes and no. We're, yeah, yeah. yeah, look, uh, we're n- we're, I'm not here to cancel anybody today. Yeah, and we've sh- never shied away from problematic filmmakers in the past. No, <laughs> so uh, we definitely hold their feet to the fire when there's document, you know, documentation to to talk about. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to think we're going easy on uh, the Soska sisters for being bullies just because they broke the glass ceiling on being shitty filmmakers, but. I, you know, I just don't know enough about it. It seems yeah. like it is still kind of hearsay and rumor. Yeah. And, well, which, you know, a lot of those things usually have truth to them, but it requires people to want to talk about it. And yeah. I can't blame yeah. people for not wanting to talk about it. For sure. Speaking of things I can't blame people for not wanting to talk about, now we can pivot back. Trigger warning! So I read a pretty good article that referenced American Mary uh, and a lot of films uh, we've talked about on this show, including Raw, The Nightingale, uh, uh, Revenge, Arthur's uh, one of his favorite films of the year. It came out. Um, so a lot of uh, female-directed films that involve violence against women, uh, not only sexual violence, but it includes quite a bit of that talk. Uh, so again, this article is from Ann Bilson. Uh, Does the female gaze make sexual violence on film any less repugnant? Uh, she wrote that for The Guardian. It was published August of last year. Um, I don't know. It was an interesting article. She's got a... Um, there's a quote from uh, Aislinn, I want to say, uh, Clark. Uh, it's an Irish name. You think I'd know my my people's phonics better? Sorry, that's what happens when there's a you know you end up in a different continent. But uh, Clark, uh, who directed The Devil's Doorway, uh, said the problem is not that brutal events are presented in films; it's how the events are presented and where the director has chosen to place the audience's focus that matters. Directors are curators of what the audience sees, hears, and feels. And that was uh, one of, I mean, there's a lot of pull quotes from you know female filmmakers who've. Uh, whose work has delved into these issues uh, throughout the piece. Uh, but that was one that I read that was like, ah, that's an interesting one. There's also one that I forgot to get a credit on uh, about, you know, directors are filmmake watchers first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, obviously female directors grew up, watch, uh, tend to have grown up watching a lot of male-directed films just because of, you know, this the industry that it is. Uh, and that, you know, will color the way certain things are depicted on film. So it's kind of the article, we don't need to get into more of it than that, but I thought it would be a, a useful primer today since we are talking about uh, assaults on film, but uh, assaults directed by women, uh, which we have you know, covered before on the show. But uh, again, I just thought uh, I found this article and I thought it would be useful to us today. And I do think the choice in the film uh, to 
to shoot the assault in the way that it is done. Yeah, a lot of tight face close-ups. A lot of tight, and yeah. again, and it's about the humanity of the person being assaulted. Yeah. And I think that's that's useful, and I think that's, you know, um, responsible. Well, and you made a point. Oh, go ahead, Arthur. You, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, Dustin made a point kind of early on in the show uh, about the usage of of that event within the film. Uh, and it doesn't, it works as an inciting incident within the plot of the film in some ways, but less so than the meeting with Ruby and Beatrice. I was going to say, I, it feels more as a means to an end rather than, yeah. I think if it had come earlier, it would make more sense. But where it lands in the film just feels like they needed a transition piece to get married to another place. Yeah. And, and I, if that's the most quote unquote logical mm. in narrative to, to get that to happen. Well, and it's interesting, you know, to go ahead and look at abuse within academia, um, you know, especially within the medical profession. Like I think yeah. that's a, a valuable plot line for the film to go down. But as Arthur, as you mentioned, there's just a lot of disparate pieces in the film that don't always work cohesively together. Yeah. And I think this is kind of the big sticking point because we have these two, Sides to Mary, we have Mary who's implied to torture more people than Dr. Grant, but we never see torture anybody other than Dr. Grant. Mm -hmm. but she has a conversation with Lance that certainly seems to imply she's doing more she's work doing for Billy. For doing some yeah. work for Billy, it seems. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like they probably just didn't have the money to shoot that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also the Mary that, you know, is doing body modification for uh, people she doesn't really seem to have any disdain for. Uh, but she's also kind of disinterested in them as people. Uh, which does certainly seem to to play into the idea that Mary has some psychopathy of her own uh, operating under the surface. Uh, I don't know. It, it is used interestingly within the film, but as Arthur said, it does feel kind of like a plot contrivance in ways that are, I don't know, troubling. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind using an assault as a life-changing moment where sure. you make different choices and go a different direction than you had been before in order to protect yourself or because certain doors have been closed in your life or whatever. Like, that That's all... That's a choice that has... Real life lived realism. Yeah, there's it. yeah. so there's a validity to that, and I think that's fine. But it is like again weirdly placed, and to go ahead and just have that happen, and then you know we can have her already meet Billy at the uh, what bourbon a go go not, bourbon a go go not whiskey a go go. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, yeah, it's a Seattle joint. Oh, big fat air quotes, Seattle. French. Uh, it's in Quebec. Uh, anyway, uh, so you, you have this sort of meeting, you know, you know, that can take place where she's got some connections with the seedy part of the city, and then again, do this very early in the film. She's got she's a med student. She doesn't have any money. Starving college student. Mm. Again, as far as an audience goes, you can catch up very very quickly. Then we get to the assault and the sort of abuse of power that brings that about, and then Mary meets this odd collection of human beings, and we have more time to live with them. And live with that set of relationships. That seems to be the better written film, right? That's an interesting way to bring it up. It is also interesting that the uh, the meeting with Billy at the uh, the Bourbon and Go Go happens before uh, the uh, you know, uh, God, what's even a polite way to a delicate way to put this? The doctor. Uh, Evil doctor sex party? Do yeah, Do that works. The doctor's evil sex party? Yeah, I guess we'll call it that. The doctor uh, eyes wide shut. Yeah, I mean, it's That's not even worse than that, though, is the mm -hmm. problem, right? Because it seems to be exclusively... The roofy eyes wide shut. Yeah, it's a fucked up sequence. But I, I don't know. There is a, a certain amount of connection between, you know, Billy's kind of harassing behavior uh, at the, the, the bar and this party, because they happen pretty close uh, in terms of, like, the events of the film. Those sequences are not that separated. 
uh, by screen time. So it is it is a weird connection that I don't know is deliberate, but is definitely there. Well, there's definitely this leering looking kind of thing, you know. I yeah, mean, he's well, objectifying her and her body, and then using her as like a, a you know quick uh, you know cut man kind of surgeon. Well, and this is maybe the thing that bothers me. And um, I didn't think we were going to get here this early, but we're kind of brushing up at it against it. It seems as though Mary's assault informs Billy's character more than it informs Mary's. And I think part of that is we get a lot more interior life out of Billy just because we get so many flashes of his fa- the, how often he yeah. fantasizes about Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the final fantasy ends on a, a real black mirror moment where his iPad that he was watching her assault on turns off and he sees his reflection after he was fantasizing about being, you know, stabbed by her while she's being sexy. And there, again, I, I bring all this up to say Billy is a character that enters the film as trash and exits the film as a guy that seems to have grown to have an understanding of how his behavior connects directly to sexual assault, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, an interesting, like, uh, you know, bit of comment on rape culture that the film has. Right. But I don't know that this is the film for it. Yeah, and, and there's another weird move that I think is unnecessary, that there's a justification in the mind of the doctors for assaulting Mary, is that they assume because she's come into money now... She's a sex worker. That now. she's a sex yeah. worker. As Mary states, yeah. Yeah. Which I think is... Uh, I, uh, the film does... Uh, Becca, very when we watched it together, kind of wisely pointed out, I think, because I was really wrestling with the depiction of Billy and the strip club and what I perceived as a lack of respect for sex workers in the film. And she did point out, well, you know, the, the film seems to have an understanding that, like, sex workers are likely to be targeted for violence and mm-hmm. less likely to have recourse when they are targeted for by, you know, targeted with violence. Which, I, you know, I think is... For sure. If, if the film does speak to those issues, it is in that line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I agree, it is icky. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think it's probably important for the film to touch on, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, it just... It, it feels. Does it feel clumsy to you, though? Clumsy, you and it up? just could have been leaner. Just let's, let's get there, and let's get to Mary living this new kind of life. Yeah, you know? sure. And, and again, we can do it with all the trauma and sort of wrestling with, you know, the event itself and, and all of that. I think you can still do, but let's... let's I, again, it, it, it seems to be better served to get it over with and make it about Mary's finding her own way through. I mean, I like a vague, vagueness to Mary's character arc. Um, again, I mentioned that it does seem to give Billy more arc. This event seems to inform Billy's arc more than Mary's, but that said, I mean, it definitely informs Mary's arc. We just don't get much info on her interiority as a character. Yeah, she's very closed off. I, I thought a lot about this movie and, and that title, American Mary, and I really like the title, and I was kind of wondering where that came from, mm-hmm. in, at least narratively, because she does go by, you know, Bloody Mary is what she kind of gets called on the, the blogs mm-hmm. uh, of these body mods. Um and I like in this. I mean, it, it really kind of calling it American Mary and the struggle of trying to succeed as a doctor and being so in debt, chasing this dream. I feel like there's a lot of commentary here on the just quote unquote American dream. Well, and kudos and, to Canada for dunking on our piss poor healthcare system. Yeah, uh, and I think anything that tries to take the piss out of the American dream and that that ideology is really fascinating. Uh, but I, I think the parts of this that are really interesting, the idea of this student who needs money and starts going down this path. It echoes a lot of the kind of drug and crime movies, you know, think of Scarface or something of that, where these characters, they need money and they start breaking bad, essentially, to Mm. to get that money. And it leads them down this kind of point of no return. I really thought that's where this movie was going to go. And so I think that's why the assault comes so out of left field to kind of turn this into a different type of movie. And I think allowing the audience and that character to kind of explore that desperation of needing more money what will I do to get that money? How far will I go 
you know, to get that money. I think that's the more interesting thing. And it feels like it gets shoehorned into this revenge thriller as well. And we get yeah. away from what's interesting about it. Or at the very least, one of, again, there's lots of interesting things that are kind of end up working in opposition to each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's, that's very well stated, Arthur, because it, so much of the plot of this film does hinge on uh, some specificities of the American healthcare system and the Ameri- American, uh, you know, university education system that, uh, you know, the the film doesn't have one time to get into. And, you know, the Soska sisters probably did not have time to research uh, those things in depth while writing the screenplay. But they seem to know it well enough to at the very least, you know, make a joke about HMOs uh, and, you know, just the lack of quality care and that lack of quality care opening these doors for, uh, you know, back alley surgery and such. Uh, it, it is, yeah, it, it is interesting, but I understand exactly, I think I understand what you're saying as far as these things working against each other to kind of stop it from having much to say. I think it was another area of the film in which uh, the Sosa sisters weighed into something that you've got to, you've got responsibility, you've got to be responsible in how you represent, and that is uh, particular communities. Yeah. And uh, so the body modification community itself and so we have our um, our Barbie doll uh, character. I I forget her name. Roxy. Roxy. That's right. And then um, our Betty Boop character. Beatrice. Beatrice. Both of these, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, listener, neither of these actresses have had that extensive of plastic surgery. Uh, those are uh, facial appliances that they wore for the film. And uh, then uh, we do have a couple of actually modified persons yeah. who do um, have kind of cameo roles here yeah. and there with some bisected tongues and those kind of things. Horns. And Horn implants. Horns yeah. and implants yeah. and... Uh, hand thing, uh, a potentially voluntary amputation, uh, which is a very interesting thing that I just learned about. That's kind of a picadillo that exists kind of on the outskirts of the body modification community because there are some sort of, there's some very specific mental health issues that go hand in hand with the desire to have one of your limbs removed from you. Uh, And it's still hotly debated uh, in mental health circles and surgical circles as to what are the ethics of removing a limb that somebody doesn't need removed? Uh, what are, you know, and again, as we, you know, how much need is there to convince this person that they don't need to lose a limb? And how much do you need to validate that this person doesn't want to have this limb? Like it is kind of a, it's a, it's interesting. And again, it's, it's something that eight years ago was probably still even more hotly debated than it is now. Cause I just learned about it recently on wow. some history of medical stuff podcast. Yeah, it's it's an interesting world, that's for sure. That I guess it it is kind of exist on the fringes of body modification, which itself is a, you know, a a, a less extreme community, <laughs> despite the tongue splitting. Yeah, uh, and you know, there's a way in which no matter how this happens, um, alternative lifestyles, alternative sort of sorts of uh, ways of being in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are by their very nature alternative, and therefore. Um, Strange, I would say. I mean, strange in the, in, the, in the real clinical kind of sense yeah. uh, to to uh, the uh, conventional viewer. Uh, this is an odd way to live, and so therefore these are odd people. Yeah, abnormality attracts persecution. Right. Um, but there's a way in which it feels like these folks are flakier than they have to be, and I don't like that. Yeah, there is a certain, maybe it is the way that Mary is written uh, to kind of just not really give a shit about anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, the, I don't know her her passive empathy. I guess is is what it comes across as. Like she's just being a doctor. She's being very clinical, uh, having decent bedside manner, and that comes across as nice enough. But yeah, she doesn't really remark upon any of it. And the film itself it seems fascinated by body modification, but doesn't really seem to have anything larger to say about it. And I guess I think that's why I had kind of a bee in my bonnet about the depiction of sex work. And I'm, I'm glad you've now brought this up, Dustin. That there is another subculture uh, that is presented in this film with 
little to no comment, really. Really, and that troubles me. I think I think Roxy, especially, um, being as, as far as the event itself mm. becomes, you know, pretty yeah. um, climactically important for the yeah. uh, course of the film. But her her choice to be desexualized mm. uh, by having her nipple and areola removed and basically her uh, vulva shut, um, and you know, again, looking very much like a doll. Uh, you know, an anatomically incorrect uh, Barbie-style doll. Those choices, I mean, I'm not surprised that somebody might want that done. That actually isn't shocking to me at all. But what's what's surprising to me is that a film in which we're going to have that, we're going to have the scenes of removal and, you know, all of that kind of grossness that goes along with it. But I don't really know why. I mean, she talks about how a doll feels no shame, but I, I, I don't... Why does this motivate you? I want to know yeah, about this character. It would make sense that Mary, as this, you know, back alley doctor, uh, wouldn't really care. I mean, she's not there to be her patient's therapist. Uh, she's she's there to do what they ask her to do. But you're absolutely right that we've got so much talk about, or not even direct talk, but on screen we have depictions of not only body modification, but the commodification of bodies themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like it is fundamentally all about how we make money off of the human body uh, at the end of the day if the film is about any one thing uh, it is exploitation of bodies and turning them into commodities and dehumanizing uh, the people around us so it is weird as you say like the way you prevent commodifying people's bodies uh, the way you prevent sh- shame around sexual feeling is is to come to have a better understanding of one another I think mm-hmm. so you're right that it does present something that is quite a a doozy of a thing to introduce uh, in terms of what that would mean for that person's life, both where they've been and where they're going, and to not really wrestle with that other than that it results in an act of intimate partner violence is... Woof. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how it makes me feel. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It feels like, you know, hearing Dustin talk and kind of Dustin's point, it feels like the film is really, or at least maybe the Soskas are a lot more interested in the other characters but Mary. They're really interested in Billy. Mm. And they're really interested in Roxy or Beatrice. And Mary kind of serves as this conduit of change in the lives of all these other characters. Oh, that's interesting. But it also, I think to your point, it just it doesn't have the time or wherewithal to give us more about Roxy. Because I think you're right. I think Rock, especially with how important Roxy becomes to the plot in the third act. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems to kind of just... Well, especially Bail. for her to disappear for basically the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, except for a, a mention from Beatrice when they go to the shop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a scene where she kind of shows her husband what she's had done, and he's clearly not keen. But yeah, that's it. But yeah, I, I mean, mean and that leads right to the climax. There, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, whew. yeah, it is kind of a. I, I like what you've said though, Arthur, about the the idea that she exists as an agent of change in other people's lives. I know that they care about this character. I can't remember which of the sisters it was, but I read a. Uh, an interview about the making of the film, and uh, one of the two of them was very emotional on the day they they shot Mary's death scene. Um, it was a very real experience for them watching one of uh, a character they created and loved watching that person die. Uh, so obviously they have a great deal of of care for this character they created. So it, it is interesting that they present so she is something of a cipher uh, throughout much of the film, which I think is effective in a lot of ways. But it does leave you wanting more, uh, especially if you're like me and are kind of compelled by uh, Catherine Isabel's performance. For sure, for sure. Uh, I want to talk about the gays some now. Um, yes. you know, we did talk about yes. the way that we were uh, viewing the... Uh, the I thought uh, we would get there with body modification and co-modification talk. Yeah, I mean, it's, yes, it, it arrives there. And so 
the way in which this film, I mean, obviously we have, well, we have a strip club that's at work here, mm-hmm. and so there's a particular kind of sex work uh, that is about viewing of the body. We have a, a video made of the sexual assault. Uh, we have uh, just uh, we have uh, fantasies on the part of Billy's character mm-hmm. and the way in which he, he sort of, uh, again, visualizes, gazewises, I don't know what you'd say. Uh, yeah, he fantasizes. Fantasizes, fantasizes about Mary, but all both of his fantasies involve violence yeah, violence. some yeah. capacity, uh, or at the very least, Mary's capacity for violence, which mm-hmm. is psychosexually very interesting. Yeah, uh, and so there's a lot going on here. And, uh, and, you know, again, the way in which uh, the doctors themselves, the reason why they feel like they are licensed now to uh, commit this assault is they've been watching Mary and they've been seeing, you know, uh, improvement in her clothes and her nails and hair and that kind of stuff. Uh, and so that's what it is the looking that goes on there. And we, we talk a lot about the male gaze and we have uh, female directors here and uh, turning that around. But at the same time, this movie is sexy. I mean, it's a very sexy film. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think at least one of the sisters, if not both of them, are gay. I know they play lesbians within the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, their appreciation for the female form might be entering into the camera uh, no matter what. But, yeah, it's a sexy-ass movie. Uh, for sure. I mean, and, and so, you know, again, the, the weird way in which those choices are being made and the way in which the film is trying, it seems, to break through, that, 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 which, that, that looking itself is what incites the violence. But, again, I think it is isn't good and interesting... Well, let's just say interesting. I won't get put a value on it. It is interesting to go ahead and say, and we've talked about this in other films that involve uh, an act of assault or violence before that have consensual sexuality uh, in them. You know, it, just because a bad thing happens to you and your your sexual life does not mean you cease to be somebody who has a sexual you know interiority. Uh, we don't get any of that from Mary. We just get it from Billy. Mm-hmm. The only thing we kind of get about Mary is she learns that Billy is afraid of her, and she seems intrigued by that. Um, you know, she's jealous uh, of him uh, coercing a blowjob out of somebody. That's a whole fucked up scene. Uh, yeah. But it is presented as Mary not feeling good about what happens. I mean, she menaces this woman who was probably more or less assaulted uh, and then feels bad about it. And it does seem wrapped up in this knowledge that Billy is into her and afraid of her, uh, which, you know, that's compelling, interesting stuff. But, you know, I'm mostly milking that out of the subtext. Right. Right. That's not really presented in the film. Uh, and it does, I, I, I kind of lost the thread now, but I, it's not to say that a film with assault can't also be sexy, I guess yeah, is what abso- I'm saying. Because there's a lot you can do there in terms of uh, analyzing and dealing with you know trauma in a person's life and how that impacts them. And, and But the film doesn't really do that. Exactly. Get, this is the point I want to make, yeah. I guess, is that clearly this is not an instance of the male gaze, mm-hmm. but it is close enough that it doesn't narratively provide a counterpoint, nor nor yeah. does it manage to do so visually. Well, it brings that, that article I referenced earlier back into question, right? Like, the the male gaze is such a uh, defining part of cinema uh, that it does kind of leak into our language of cinema, regardless of the gender of the filmmaker, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Soska sisters even reference the Hitchcock quote in an interview about this film that blondes make the best victims. Uh, you know, these things become our foundational cornerstones of what a good movie is, and we forget what they reinforce. I mean, it's you know, it's uh, birth of a nation all over again, right? Yeah. Uh, cinematic language is important, um, and I, I, that's a very good point. I kind of went off on my tangent just to say, the thing that happens within this film is not in and of itself bad, 
But I'm in agreement with you that I don't think it's really effectively deployed here. Yeah, it, it just it, it it I mean there there's I mean and not that a movie always has to be making some sort of argument. Sure, but if you don't make one, you made one anyway. Exactly, and, and that that's the thing is that there's a way in which it kind of capitulates and just sort of plays the game in, sure. a, in a different kind of way. And the thing is, is that it is positioned and postured in a way that it really could make an argument. And I, I think especially that's especially yeah, especially the body modification stuff, yeah. right? Um, I'm gonna quote two sociologists this week. That's a rarity. Uh, Charles Cooley, you guys know about the looking glass self and these uh, this idea. You might, since you like Lacan a lot. Dustin. I like Lacan. Yeah, this is not going to be totally foreign uh, of a concept to you, but uh, Cooley came up with this looking glass theor- uh, theory of the self, and basically he says, I am not who you think I am. I am not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Uh, which, you know, again, uh, as with most sociological concepts, there's the more you start to talk about nature versus nurture, you can kind of start to criticize any theory within sociology. But it does kind of present this idea that um, our relationship to ourself is very tied up with our relationship to society. Yeah, and our perception of uh, society's perception, yeah. Which, again, brings us back to Roxy and... and I, I think and Billy to an extent. Billy I'll... to an extent, for sure. I mean, Billy is trying to do... Look, I don't know if you've noticed over the last couple of years, I'm trying to become America's cool uncle and stop being America's <laughs> bad boy because when a grown man continues to be a bad boy, you end up looking like Billy and you have a bedazzled shirt and a bad haircut. Mm. It's true. Yeah, it's very true. But I, I, I well, uh, a point well made, Dustin, to bring him up there. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have anything more to say about it than simply just that. It's like, I just feel like there's a missed opportunity here. Yeah, it connects us back to the missed opportunity to explore the interior lives of people who want their bodies modified. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, other big thematics that we want to sort of engage here with this film? Uh, do you feel like we're in post-postmodernism yet, Dustin? Post-post, well, I mean, what's, I mean, post-modernism is just the thing that's after modernism. Yeah, so but what's after postmodernism? The next thing. I, I, are we in the next thing? I don't know. Saying. I mean, we seem like we've had multiple next things. Are you going to make an argument for a next thing? I mean, I think the next, not necessarily make an argument for it, but I, I was just thinking about uh, the, the grift that is higher education uh, in the late 20th, early 21st century, right? The idea that... Uh, you too, middle class and working poor child, can become uh, one of the good the good ones or whatever. You know, you too mm. can be a, a king of industry if only Local you go- boy made good. Yeah. yeah, you if only you can get yourself to an Ivy League institution or become a doctor. Um, and you know that in and of itself is a grift on young people to get them into debt before they really understand the role debt will have on their lives. And this film doesn't seem super interested in that, but it touches on it. Yeah, and it just got me thinking about. Uh, the idea of uh, anime, the, uh, the social condition in which uh, we have lost norms. Um, and I think the internet being a good example of that, right? The internet has created new norms for us that we have not had a, a chance to parse out yet. I don't really bring that up because this film's got it early iPhones in it. It kind of had mm-hmm. me thinking about late stage capitalism as it exists within this film and, you know, just the institutions of academia and, you know, making money on the side, uh, working for cash and, you know, potentially illegal settings. I don't know. It just had me thinking on that. I don't know. It had me thinking if, if we are in the next thing yet. That's, I don't really have anything more than that. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I like that. I, I just want to point out one thing as sort of a question. Okay. Uh, just a comment of a, just a briefest of moments. Speaking of the uh, ancient iPhones uh, in the film, if you get the phone call that your loved one has just died, mm-hmm. do you immediately hang up the phone and then delete the contact? I was going to say this. My mom's number's still on my phone. I bet. Yeah. Well, we just talked off air. I, I lost an aunt yesterday uh, before I watched the movie. And when she deleted the contact, I thought, oh, I guess my aunt's number is still on my phone, huh? I don't 
know that I'm in a hurry to delete it. I'm not. I, yeah, it is an interesting touch, though, and it has. It well, is a moment. Mary's kind of. Yeah. There you have it. I was just about to say the same thing. It is one of those few really great interior moments we get with her. Yeah, because the ones we get, I think, are very interesting, especially her monologues at Doctor Grant. I think all that stuff's really uh, interesting in terms of expressing the uh, the toxification of her soul through money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, let's run a verdict. Shell for Trash, American Mary, Arthur Go. Um, I, I think it is filled with too many missed opportunities. Also, I can't take it serious because they named the antagonist Dr. Alan Grant. I'm going to put this in the that trash. That is a tough one. It too. is hella a JP reference, right? Yeah, they yeah. know what they're doing. They got to. They like movies. They got to. They know. That does not work. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say, Dalton? Uh, I mean, look, I, I don't own it. Uh, my wife doesn't own it, and it's a film that she loves dearly. But I, I like the, I like the film. I see the appeal. Um, I think the conversation we've had about it uh, is illuminative of how even a genre film that none of us like are over the moon about can still be rich ground for conversation. Uh, and again, I think it's a good gateway into horror. Uh, I think it's gross enough that it could kind of uh, again uh, when Becca and I started dating, she wasn't really much of a, a horror hound and. Uh, definitely is more than me at this point, I think. And this film was one she came to before her and I uh, got to know each other. But it was a film that made me go, oh, you like this movie? Yeah, you like horror movies. This is way grosser than most of the stuff that I like. <laughs> uh, so I think I think there's a value in the If somebody is not super icked out by surgery stuff, I think this is kind of a good primer to horror, if nothing else. So yeah, I say it's a, it's a very soft shelf, and maybe it is because it has a sentimental uh, value to me. Very good, very good. Even though it's a film that I would give uh, three sutured turkeys out of five, um, I would still go ahead and put it on the shelf. I, I think it's just worth having just because it is so interesting and uh, such an aesthetic uh, sort of garden of delights. Um, and again, the problematic conversations that ensue I think are also worth having. So yeah, I like it a lot. I think I'd go ahead and shelf it. I would give it three uh, uh, pint glasses full of blood during a strip tease out of five. <laughs> Excellent. Arthur, you got the three out of five should give it? We dropped this bit a long time ago. So. We did drop that bit a long time ago. You know who else does that bit, though? Who? Is uh, Friendly Fire, the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they come up with a new rating system every week, so they're not comparing the films to each other. They're grading them on their own merits. That's fun. I, was like, oh, I that's, like that. I do, too. Well, I liked it when we, when we did yeah, it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. I think about it once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just out of nowhere just decided to do that. So there you go, dear listener. I hear we're going to... Okay, you've already heard about how to contact us. I, I would also say we have a small enough listenership that if you don't want to sign up uh, on Twitter, or for Twitter, rather, which, again, if you are, at good underscore trash, if you want to follow us and keep up with the voting. Uh, but if you don't want to sign up for Twitter, you, you can email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. You know, if you, you get your email in within that week, I'm sure... Arthur or I will see it, uh, and we can add it. Again, if we had more listeners, I definitely wouldn't be saying that. Uh, that would be way too hard. But, you know, if you don't, I don't want anybody to feel like they can't vote for these marathons just because they're not on Twitter. But yeah. if you are, it's at good underscore trash. Uh, if you are not on Twitter or just want to send us a longer form uh, bit of feedback, that's uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, that's how you get a hold of us. Do you want me to do the rest of it now, Dustin? Uh, the rest of it's the next movie, right? Well, the rest of it. Is. Well, we we would like to thank our sweet, wonderful Patreons. Uh, including my w- wonderful and beautiful wife, uh, but all of our patrons. Thank you so, 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 so much. Even if you don't give enough to pick a movie, uh, you don't have to do that. You don't have to give us any money. Give money to the Ochre Project. That's a foundation that uh, feeds uh, trans women, uh, specifically, or uh, trans peoples, um, and is a very much motivated towards uh, you know uh, justice for uh, black uh, trans people and uh, trans people of color and feeds them in their own homes and seems like a cool foundation. The Okra Project. Give them money. You don't have to worry about upping your donation for us, man. 
Uh, but yeah, it's a Patreon. Uh, we, we love them. It's patreon.com forward slash GTM if you want to be one of those. But uh, thank you, Arthur, for bringing that up. Yeah, we, you help keep the lights on, man. You pay our hosting fees. Uh, this is for you. Nice. So what's next? Well, I'm glad you asked because uh, this week uh, we have kicked off our tournament of how have we never covered. Uh, when you're listening to this, we're obviously deep into week one voting. Uh, but we're going to talk about some of the contenders. Uh, I'm going to run down the matchups and I'm going to ask you two. These questions first, uh, I'll ask you, I'll read them, and then we can get back to the questions. Okay, first, what do you want to see make it all the way to the end? What do you think will make it to the end? And is there a movie that you just don't want to talk about? So, here are week one's contestants. So, first up, we have The Goonies taking on The Prestige, X Men 2000 uh, taking on From Dusk Till Dawn, Casino goes up against Shawshank Redemption. Mad Max, the OG 1979, goes up against Three Kings. That's a hell of a matchup. The Truman Show goes head-to-head with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. The Ghost with the Most Beetlejuice takes on the Bear with the Coat, uh, Paddington. Shrek, that lovable ogre. Ah, the the meme to end all memes. Drinks him some Baterade this week when he goes up against The Rock. And we have Dark City taking on Marathon Man. So what what do you think is going to go all the way to the end? I think that's the most interesting question. Of those 16. What do you think we'll be talking about next week? Hmm. So now, I mean, that is interesting. Now I want to be clear, the other 16 films in that that are bracketed with those uh we'll be watching basically one film from each of those two brackets if I understand right. Correct. So week 1 we'll be watching one of these 16 movies. Gotcha. And then week, week two, 2 will be one of those next 16. I understand then, now. Page three has, uh, or the next page has weeks three and four. Gotcha. The uh, the uh, end of the uh, tournament style bracket uh, that we've used did kind of confuse me, but I understand now. So looking at that list, I I can tell you right now, I don't want to watch Casino. It's too long. Uh, There's other. I mean, we've done the Wolf of Wall Street on this show. I think the the Casino is just going to be too similar. I, I have no interest in doing it. I would love to see Paddington make it to the end. Uh, I would also love to see Marathon Man make it to the end. Uh, really just classic 70s uh, genre piece. I tell you what, man, the 70s genre movie's got a lot more money. Uh, and I I like, I, Marathon Man's a film I didn't watch until couple, for the first time until a couple of years ago, but I just blew my hair back. I, I think it's great. Uh, that and Mad Max, uh, I would love to, but just because of their their place within genre, we don't do a ton of 70 movies, movies from the 70s on the show. I think either one of those I would love to see make it to the end. Um, who do I think will definitely make it to the end? Shrek. I think our audience will, I think our audience will fuck with us. Of. Yeah, I, and I, you know, I don't blame, <laughs> our audience loves to make me watch shit I don't want to watch. <laughs> Uh, see our uh, our marathon or our supersized episode over the uh, M Night Shyamalan's East Rail. Is it one eight seven? Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, th- the Glass trilogy. Uh, so yeah, people love putting me in a position to talk about stuff I don't want to watch. <laughs> so I don't know. I think I could see Shrek making it to the end. I would. I, I also don't really give a shit about watching the Goonies. I know that Arthur loves it. it's got a big place in his heart. You like it too, right? I grew Dustin? up with it. Yeah, yeah, I know you both. I mean, again, I I am a little bit younger than you guys. Goonies was kind of out of rotation. Yeah for kids by the time I was watching movies. So I just never got to it, and I don't really care. Uh, so there's the ones I don't really care about or ones I'm excited about. Um, other ones I can see definitely making it to the end. Uh, Shawshank, uh, you know, that people like to talk about it even if they don't like it. Shawshank seems to be a one that would make it, yeah. Yeah. Um, Truman Show. Uh, people love the Truman Show, um, and I think they're thematically, analysis-wise, I think it's a, a rich text, and I can see people really wanting to watch that one. 
What about you, Dustin? Well, I'm with you. I dread the possibility of Shrek, um, and I do think it's going to be Shawshank that's probably going to make it, uh, with the other exception of probably going to make it. Uh, I think maybe Beetlejuice is going to have some more legs than we might expect. I think Paddington's going to suplex Beetlejuice into 1995. I mean, I know. I think you're right. I know there's one vote that's definitely going to go against uh, Beetlejuice. Well, yeah, Keithan's definitely going to vote Paddington, and Thurk is definitely going to vote Beetlejuice. Yeah, but head to head. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. If you throw out any of listener or like friend of the show, I can tell you how they're going to vote. Yeah, which is. You know, we've only got like, uh, depending on how this these tournaments shake out, they could be as you know few as twenty votes or as many as fifty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but thinking about the people I know personally, I'm I'm thinking about how they're going to vote, uh, which is definitely coloring things for me. But the movie I'd like to see make it, honestly, I would like to see Dark City. I really would uh, want to see Dark yeah. City make it. That's a matchup that's yeah. really hard. I know I said Marathon Man, but so here's here's an interesting question. I know the answer for me. Do you guys have any matchups that you're kind of frustrated to, to vote on? Any that are particularly the, the, difficult for you? On this week? For, yeah, in this week. Oh, I don't... I don't think this week. There are some later, I think, that I have some issues. Like, I'm going to have to, like, kill some darlings mm-hmm. on. I think this week's probably pretty straightforward. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I my would, pick. I would really want the... I really would like to talk about the prestige, especially... You know, Inception's in this later on, and if we're going to have to talk about a Nolan film, I'd much rather talk about The Prestige than Same. anything else he's done. Yeah, I could agree with that. And, and, I, and I was going to say, I do think uh, From Dust Till Dawn is kind of handicapped uh, in an advantageous way against X-Men. I don't think anybody wants to talk about X-Men anyway, and I think that's sort of... Yeah. I think those two are an interesting matchup, just both in terms of like time period and filmmaker. Uh, I don't want to talk about a Brian Singer movie. Uh, I'd much rather talk about a Rodriguez movie. Yeah. Um, I... For me, th- this one's got darlings killing for me. I love Mad Max and I love Three Kings. I think Three, Three Kings is the one I would like. I haven't seen it in a long time, but it's one I'd really like it's to revisit. A fun movie. I remember there being some really fun stylistic stuff in there. Kings be stealing the gold. <laughs> it's interesting. The last time I heard uh, it discussed, it kind of introduced some new problems to the text that I hadn't thought about before. And just in terms of its. Talk about problematic filmmakers. Talk about problematic filmmakers, but also problematic film in terms of just not reckoning with the war crime that is the last 30 years of yeah. U.S. foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I like that movie a lot, and I like I love Mad Max, and I haven't seen the original since I was like twenty. Yeah, it's been a while. I've never seen the original, so oh oh, yeah. ooh, now I really want Mad Max. And to make it just, to the you end. know, I haven't seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That's one I'd really like to see. Mm. I haven't seen Paddington, so I haven't seen The Rock. It's one of the few stay movies I haven't seen. Oh, The Rock's fun. I haven't seen it since I was a and small child. Sean Connery, yeah. I mean, yeah, Heck yeah, dude. I do remember that movie having one of the coolest kills in an action movie ever. I won't spoil it for Arthur, but Dustin just made eyes at me, so I know he knows what I'm talking about. Um, I'm excited for this first week, y'all. Be fun times, so vote, 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 dear listener. That's right. We can't. I, I know I, you got so excited to ask Arthur who next week's film is, and it, this is upon us. It's happening. We'll we'll know yeah. when. I guess we'll know. We'll know. Yeah. So <sighs> once it's announced, uh, we'll watch it, and then we'll talk about it. I'm so excited. So you keep watching, and we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>